to make him feel welcome. Praise the Lord. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning on a beautiful, warm. I'll take the rain. We got warm weather. I'm happy about that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's good to see everyone. I'm having trouble with my clicker. I might need one of you guys to run up here. I don't, it doesn't look like it's on. Praise the Lord. And the light's a little bit too bright on me. We can turn that down just a little bit. And if we, uh, no, I know it. I'm, I'm going, you know, I really, really, really enjoy Pastor Chad's teachings. Amen. He's a great preacher, great man of God. And uh, it's just been such a delight for me to be able to just sit down and soak up. There we go. Now it's working. I still don't think this is on, though. I'll test it. It's not. So, one, Scotty, thank you. I appreciate Scotty, too. He's been faithful from the very, very first day of the time, church. He was there. He was there before we even owned a speaker. He brought his speakers and his microphone, the whole thing. All right, thank you. That's good. It's not just me. We've been talking about the blueprint, how to build. God's building a building, how we're all part of the building of God or the temple of God. We're stoned, so... Uh, about a month or so ago, I taught a lesson on the foundation. And I just want to follow up on that because really the whole foundation of everything we do at Returns built on the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is so important and so vital of the gospel. The more profound it gets, then the deeper my level of gratitude gets. Thank you so much. No, we are good to go. It's on and we're going to talk about the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The power of God to this advises you. But the gospel's news. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It's the greatest news in the history of the world. Are you kidding me? We ought to be excited about the gospel. We ought to be excited about it in our life, excited enough to want to go tell everybody in the neighborhood about the gospel. Jesus left heaven to come to earth so we earthlings can leave earth one day and go to heaven. The Son of God became a human so us humans can become sons and daughters of God. That's the gospel in its simplistic, most simple form. You know, that Jesus came down to the earth, did what we could never do, live a perfect life, died in our place, was buried three days, rose again, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father on high, sent the Holy Spirit down to the earth to lead and guide us, to save us, to draw us to Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus did. And it's our job to simply believe. So uh, if we'll believe it, and receive it and get excited about it, then what Brother Chad's been teaching makes sense to you. You'll want to go out in the community and share it. You know, there's a lot of people in this community, thousands, tens of thousands in a city this big, the Louisville metro area, that have never received the gospel in their life. There's a bunch of them who never heard it right, but tons of them have never received it. Are y'all following that? Amen. Jesus has saved me. All that call upon his name, he saved us. Are you kidding me? He, he saved me, saved me, a sinner like me. 
the chiefest of sinners. Are you, are you kidding me, man? He saved me. The gospel. I don't, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven because of the gospel. He, he washed me in his own blood. He loves me. I'm his son. Our sin problem has been eradicated. Are you kidding me? That's the thing. That's the whole problem in life. We got this sin problem. This thing that separates us from God. This thing that messes up our relationship with God. This thing that messes up our relationships with people. This sinful, this sinful thing. He came to fix everything that was wrong with us and made it right 2,000 years ago. That's the gospel. He eradicated the sin problem. My old man has been crucified with him. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. My old man is dead. I've been born again. I was born dead in Adam, but in Christ, I'm born again. I got a brand new life. I'm raised from the dead, as it were. Born again in Christ. That's the gospel. And now he's progressively changing me. Progressively sanctifying my soul. Progressively making me more like Christ. See, that's the full gospel. Jesus didn't just die to save you from hell. He died to save you from yourself. And that's the whole gospel. He wants to change us and, and conform us into his image and his likeness. That's the ultimate intention of God is that he might conform us his sons and daughters, that he would conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. So we, we should want to tell everyone about the gospel. If you don't know how to articulate it well, that's why you bring people to church. Do you realize our church would double in one week if everybody just brought a friend to church? And that's not so hard. You think, well, I don't know how to invite them. Well, you know how to invite people to church. You can do that. But let Brother Chad wind them up and preach the gospel when they get here. You don't have to do all that. Just love people. Bring them to church. We should want to tell everyone this exciting, great news about the gospel. I'm going to talk to you today about um, Abram's amazing encounter with God. I shared this part of this, a portion of this, a couple years ago, and I was praying this week. God said, go over that again. That not everybody got that. And uh, there were, you know, there's several encounters with God that are recorded in the Bible that were amazing. One of them was Moses' encounter at the burning bush. That was amazing. A bush was on fire, but yet the bush wasn't being consumed. It was God himself appeared to Moses as, as a burning bush. And Moses communicated with God. Later in Moses' life, he was up on the mountain. He got such a glimpse of the glory of God that it, it changed his countenance so much so he had to put a veil over his face for man to even better look at him. And then there was the, the account of Jacob. Jacob wrestled all night long with the Lord. That's when he got his name changed and he got a hawk in his thigh where he limped from then on showing his new dependency upon God. He was no longer Jacob but now called Israel. A tremendous encounter with God. And then there was a story of Isaiah. Remember when he saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and above it were the seraphims, had six wings. The Bible says in King James, with twain they covered their face, with twain they covered their feet, and with twain 
they did fly, crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And smoke filled the house at the voice of Him that spake. Now, what an amazing encounter with God. And, and all through the Bible, you see that God has communicated with man, and man's had experiences with God. But none more profound or none more uh, amazing and I could even say bizarre than the account Abraham had with God in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God established the covenant he was going to make with Abraham. And Abraham had this amazing, peculiar, bizarre, strange experience with God, encounter with God. And Abraham had a lot of communication with God and several experiences with God but none like Genesis 15. And here in Genesis 15, I think we see the very heart of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel. Explained better here than anywhere else in the whole Bible. So if you got your Bibles today and you want to look at this text, just go to Genesis, the 15th chapter. I'm going to be reading it here out of the New King James Version. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Hey, God's our protection and He's our reward. You see, people, some people are hung up on reward. What's going to be my reward? Jesus is my reward. That's all. You, it doesn't get any better than that. Huh? He's our shield and our exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham, Abram said, this is before he, God had changed his name to Abraham. said, Abram said, Lord, you've given me no offspring indeed. One born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He believed in the Lord. Other translations, NLT and ESV, say he believed the Lord. It's one thing to believe in the Lord. It's another thing to believe the Lord, to trust the Lord, to put your confidence in what God says. So Abraham believed the Lord. Now see, Abraham was a man of faith. And the story of his life, without taking too much time, it's kind of summed up in these four points. He was told to leave his country, his father's house, his land. And Abraham would say, well, where will I go? And God says, I'll, I'll tell you later, just go. <laughs> and then he was told he was going to possess a land. His descendants were going to possess a land, inherit a land. He says, where is this land? I'll tell you when you get there. Just go. And then he was told he'd have a son. And Abraham would say, how is this possible? My wife and I are too old. I mean, Abraham, they were 90 and 99. Uh, too old. How can I have, possibly have a son? And you know what God said? Just wait. You think you're old now. You're going to be older when you have the, have the boy. Just wait. And then he was told to offer his son as a sacrifice. But Isaac was the promised child. He was the heir. Why would God do that? God said, just do it. Just go to that mountain. Walk up that mountain, Abraham, and do what I tell you to do. And Abraham always just believed God. 
There's no such thing as blind faith, but when you look at Abraham's life, you think you could use that term, that term's used properly, blind faith, you know, not going by what you see, but going by what you hear the word of the Lord say. With God says it, Abraham believed it. So the Bible says Abraham believed in the Lord or believed the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. That's how you become righteous, by believing. It's by believing. God credits to your account his righteousness when you believe him, when you trust in him. Abraham was a great man of faith. So back to our text in verse 7. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And then he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? After all of Abraham's experiences thus far, he had a relationship with God where he was expressing his doubt. How shall I know? Do you ever have a question when God gives you a promise? Well, Lord, how will I know that I can keep the promise? How will I know if you'll keep the promise? How do I know if that's ever come to be? Abraham was a human being with doubts. Remember, John the Baptist had doubts right at the very end of his life. He, had to, he sent a message to Jesus. Go ask him, if, is he the, the Messiah or should I look for another one? In other words, I'm in jail about to get my head cut off. Something's not going as planned here. Are you sure that's Jesus? Are you sure he was the Christ? And Jesus didn't even rebuke him. He just sent back a gentle message to him saying, the blind see, the, the deaf hear, the lame are healed, and the gospel is being preached. You know, John, don't you worry about it one bit here. You know, everything's, everything's good. So Abram said, how shall I know that I'll inherit the land? And look what God said for him to do. He said, he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. So Abraham knew what God was doing. He was not making a sacrifice at all. Many people teach that the wrong way. But he was making entering into a covenant with God. Uh, and so what he did was take these three animals. A heifer is a young female cow, three-year-old cow, which is a big cow. Time they're three, they're almost got their full body statue by then. A three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and two birds, a turtle, turtle dove and a pigeon. The three large animals, he cut them in half and he put one half on this side of an aisle and one half on this side all three times. And he would put one bird on one side and another bird on the other side. So he had an aisle down the middle because he was about to enter into a covenant with God. So look at the word covenant in the Hebrew. It's berit, berit, in the sense of cutting a compact made by passing between pieces of flesh, a confederacy, a covenant, a league. That's the Strong's Concordance, number 1285. That's the, see, we don't even have a word like that in our English language. The closest we can get to a covenant is like a contract, a contract where two people sign saying, you know, if you keep your end of the deal, I'll keep my end of the deal. If you break your end, I get to break my end. That's, a, that's the way a contract works. This covenant, the, the ancient world operated in covenants. This was a common thing back in the days of Abram. 
And it, but it's much more than an agreement or a contract. Uh, with covenant, they would act out the consequences of breaking the agreement. In other words, what would happen, two guys are going to come into an agreement, they would take a heifer and cut it in half and make an aisle, and one guy would walk down the aisle saying, if I don't keep my end of the deal, you know, you can kill me. You know, I'll, 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 I'll be cut in half and die. And sometimes it was just a Lord entering into an agreement with the servant where the Lord wouldn't walk down the aisle, but the servant would. And the Lord agreed, look, I'm going to pay your wages and take care of your family, but you've got to be loyal to me and do it. I say. Other agreements, there were two men would enter into it where both of them would walk down the aisle. And this is how they made it. This was a very visual way to make an agreement saying we're going to act out the consequences of breaking the agreement. Has everybody got that? And then in Jeremiah 34, you have it recorded in the Bible to show you. There's always places in the Bible to prove everything that you're, you see it in one place. It's always in another place. Here's just a story of people that entered into a covenant. Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20 says, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. You see how they, they were entered into a covenant. I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven and beasts of the earth. So this is how they would take an oath in ancient days. They would act out the curse of whether they broke the oath by cutting the animal in two and walk down the aisle saying, if I can't keep my end of the deal, you know, you can kill me. I'll give you my life. That's what a covenant was. Barit. So go back to your text in verse 17. Remember the Bible says Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a horror of great darkness came over him. And then it came to pass in verse 17. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. When the sun went down and it was dark, that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Look what it says in the NLT. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So what happened? Abraham's in a deep sleep. He had just laid the animals out before God. He knew he and God were about to come into a covenant. I'm sure Abraham was waiting on God to tell him when to pass between the pieces. But that didn't happen at all. God put a deep sleep on him and God passed between the pieces. He never asked Abram to pass between the pieces. God's saying, Abraham, I know you can't keep your end of this deal, so I'm going to do it for you. I'll walk down the middle of the aisle. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. God keeps both ends of the deal. He keeps his end of the deal and our end of the deal because none of us were able to keep our end of the deal. The next verse says, The same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Let's just, let's just move and look at that. God passed between the pieces. This is the very heart of the gospel. God never asked Abram to pass between the pieces. The ceremony ended without Abram even making an oath or a promise. 
He didn't even have to make a promise. God did it all. God's saying, not only will I be torn in pieces if I don't keep the covenant, but I will be torn in pieces if and when you don't keep the covenant. That's the basis of the new covenant we find in Jesus Christ today. God's saying, I will bless you even if it means my immortality must become mortal. If my infinity becomes limited. If my power becomes powerless. If I must become a human being. If I may be cut off, even if I have to be torn in pieces, beaten, bruised, crucified, because you can't keep your end of the deal. God said, that's what I'll do for you. The covenant. God knew that Abraham would break the covenant. So God took his punishment for him in Abraham's place as his substitute. God walked through the pieces alone and never asked Abraham to do it. This is the gospel. God says, I'll take the curse of the covenant for both of us. On a hill called Calvary 2,000 years ago, a horror of great darkness filled the land as the sun refused to shine. As the creation was crucifying its creator, the horror of darkness came on the land and God passed between the pieces as Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was a sacrifice cut up and broken. God passed through the pieces at the cross of Calvary. That's the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. Man, why, why should you be excited about the gospel? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I didn't have anything to do with my salvation. He did it all. It's not what you do. It's what Christ did 2,000 years ago. We should, we should be so excited about that. A lot of times we just take it for granted because we've been saved for so long and we lose our excitement because that's just a natural human reaction. That's why we need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded of how awesome God is and about how, how amazing His grace is toward us and how good He is to us. And the problem is, as long as you think in the back of your mind just a little bit that you had something to do with you getting saved, then you're not really going to be 100% grateful for him saving you. But see, if you think, oh, I know Jesus died for me, but I've been living this really squeaky clean life all my life, and I'm sure I'm going to go to heaven just because I'm such a good person. My mama said I had a good heart, so I bet you I got a good heart, and I'm a good... No, the Bible says none of us are righteous. No, not one. We're all born sinners. And the wages of sin is death and hell. That's what we deserve. But Jesus came from heaven to earth to die on a cross in our place because we could not keep the covenant. We could not enter into a covenant with God. So he said, I'll tell you what, son, I'll do it for you. I'll keep my end of the deal and I'll keep your end of the deal. I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to live the life that you can never live, a perfect life. So you, don't, you can quit worrying about trying to live that perfect life. I lived it for you. And I'm going to die in your place. You can quit worrying about having to be punished for your sins. I'm going to be punished for you. I'm going to take all of your iniquity and sin and transgression upon myself. He who knew no sin became sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel, I love it. Look at Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our grief, starting in verse 4, and carried our sorrow. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised 
for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Why? Because he, he kept both ends of the covenant for us. We couldn't keep our end of the deal. He kept it for us. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. The Son of God died. His immortality became mortal. His infinity became limited. He became a human being and died for us in our place. That's the gospel. You can't keep your word. You can't keep your end of the deal. You cannot be holy or righteous on your own. So I'll do it for you is what God's saying here. I will take the punishment you deserve for you. And I'll give you my righteousness that you don't deserve. Are you kidding me? Not only did he forgive me of my sins, but he's going to impute his righteousness onto me. Abraham believed God and he accredited it to him. He accounted it to him for righteousness. He believed God and God put the righteousness on him. This is the gospel. You ask God to forgive you of your sins, he'll wash them all away. He'll forgive you for every sin. As far as the east is from the west, he'll forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. We're talking about a book about forgiving what you can't forget. The problem is, you know, we can't forget a lot of things. And a lot of times, I remember a preacher saying one time, I like to, we keep fishing in the sea of forgetfulness. In other words, God puts our sins behind his back in a sea of forgetfulness. He forgets all about them. God forgets all about them. But we still have a memory and we still fish around and dig up some old sin you committed 30 years ago and you're still walking around with guilt over that sin. Beloved, when are you going to trust God to forgive that thing and put it behind his back? Amen. You don't need to walk around with any guilt. For there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You're walking in forgiveness now, not guilt. I'm walking because he's forgiven me of all my sins. Are you kidding me? And not only that, he imputes his righteousness on me. Are you kidding me? The gospel is something we ought to be excited about. We ought to be running around the church building saying hallelujah, shouting with everything we've got because of the gospel. Look at Luke twenty-two twenty. Likewise, he took the cup. This was at the Lord's Supper, the last Passover meal, right before the cross. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Now you know the disciples would have understood what Berit covenant meant. They had the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They understood Jeremiah. So when Jesus said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant, you understand the magnitude of what he was saying there? I'm, it's in my blood. I'm about to spill my blood. I'm about to go to the cross and spill my blood for you. That's the gospel. We go back to our text. Let's finish the text to get the full gospel. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That's the word berit. This is right after the Lord had passed between the pieces. Abraham had this amazing encounter. God the Father, God the Holy Ghost, 
as, as, a, as a peer like the pillar of fire and the cloud by day and the fire by night, the children of Israel. Well, with Abraham, it was a smoking fire pot and a burning torch, you know, passed between those pieces. So Abraham witnessed God in an amazing way, real peculiar, strange way. He witnessed God fulfilling the oath, making the oath of the covenant, which would be realized, you know, all the way down at the cross 2,000 years ago, you know, that all came to be fulfilled. So the very next, in verse 18, he said, on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I've given you this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. That's the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey that God promised the children of Israel. And then he said, look, really bizarre again, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, why in the world would God list all the inhabitants of the Promised Land? What was he, what was he saying to Abraham? What was he saying to Abraham? Well, look those words up and just go to your strongs from coordinates. And this is the most basic meaning. Kenites means striking fast with a lance or a spear. Kenizzites means a hunt or a hunter. Catamites, ancient, old from the beginning. Hittites means terror or fear. Perizzites, open country, unwalled towns, no boundaries. Rephim, a giant, invigorating. Amorites, publicity, prominence. Canaanites, a peddler, a merchant, a trafficker. Girgashites, dwelling in clay soil. And Jebusites, trodden or threshing place. Now, if you really want to go Hebrew, you can look up the root word of all of those words and trace it back. And what you're going to find is a general description of things like fear, hate, anger, depression, self-pity. What you're going to find is there's giants in the land. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land and I'm, I'm going to do it all for you, Abraham. I'm going to take both ends of the deal here. You know, you're, all you got to do is believe me. And I'm going to give you this land, but I'm going to tell you up front, it's full of giants. It's full of inhabitants. You're going to have to possess the land and trust me to drive the giants out of your land. See, once you get saved, beloved, it's, the journey's just begun. You're now in this process of being conformed into the image of Christ. And what he's saying is you're going to find things in your soul after you're saved that are unlike me, and you're going to have to trust me. I want to drive all that out of your life. I want to drive every giant out of your life, but you're going to have to trust me and be willing to face your giants. Face, you got to face the music here. A lot of See, he didn't come just to save us from hell. He came to save us from ourselves. He came to conform us into his image. Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite scriptures. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Has he started a work in your life? You know, I look back at where I came from, and I'm just amazed at what he's done in my life. He's changed me so much. But if I want to get real honest, I can look into my soul, and I still see inhabitants of the land. I still see things in my soul that are unchristlike. I still see that I have a ways to go. Now, a lot of people just get discouraged when they see this junk 
and they just want to go back to the world. I can't tell you how many people I work with that they'll face anger or hate, and they've been a Christian a couple years, and they would get so discouraged, they just want to go back to drugs, or go back to drinking, or go back to the world. That's what happened with the children of Israel and the spies. You remember that? Uh, Numbers 13. Caleb, the spies went into the land to check out this promised land. God had promised us this land flowing with milk and honey. So they, instead of just crossing the river and taking the land, they sent spies. And the spies went and looked at everything and checked it all out. And they came back and gave a report to the people. And they gave a negative report. And the Bible says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we're well able to overcome it. This is the attitude we need to have when we see things in our soul that are unlike Christ. That's all right. Let's go. We'll, we'll go for it. I know the Lord's bigger than my anger. The Lord's bigger than my hate. The Lord's bigger than my self-pity. He, he can handle this. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, This land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great statue. And we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. In other words, this thing's so much bigger. They're just big giants, and we're like these little bitty grasshoppers. And people, sometimes they face depression like that. And that depression is so big, and they feel so small and powerless against it. They want to go back to the world. That's not what God's wanting you to do. He's wanting you to respond the other way. He wants you to face and tackle that depression head on. Because God will, he's bigger than your depression. He's bigger than your anger. He's bigger than your selfishness. He's bigger than you. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become the victims? Would not it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. Would it not be better just to go back to the world? Go back to drugging and drinking and running around like a dog returning to its vomit, the Bible says? No, it's not better that way. He wants us, don't be discouraged because you're going to find a giant in your soul. I'm, God told Abraham way back then, the land's full of giants. <laughs> he said, I'm going to enter into a covenant. I'm going to give you this land. And then he rattles off all the giants in the land. So you're Christian, you've been a Christian a couple years now, guess what? you got a whole lot of stuff inside of you that's still not like Jesus. And this, this is a process. It's a process. Let me go back a couple slides here. I've had a scripture I want to read you. Oh, there, Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Why does all this crazy stuff happen to us in our life? Well, beloved, it's all working for the good. 
Why? Because you've already been predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. God's already, God's already said it's going to happen. He's already told Abraham, all your descendants are going to possess that land. It's, it's already a done deal with God. You may not see it yet, but remember, be confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So hang on to that promise. Believe the Lord. He accounts it to you for righteousness when you believe him. Just believe in the promise of God. Not only did the gospel save your soul from hell, but it's promised to save you from yourself and complete the good work in you that he's begun. He wants you to become like Jesus. Are y'all following that? Look at Roman, I mean Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. And again, when you look at that word covenant, remember berit. This is the, the deal, the contract, the agreement, the bloody agreement that was made by passing pieces of flesh, you know, between walking down an aisle between pieces of bloody flesh. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. God's spending a lot of time and energy in your life writing his law in your heart and in your mind. He's changing you. He's making you more like Christ. Just hang in there. Look at this next one. But may the, 1 Peter 5, 10. But may the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now, me and my dad were talking about this few months ago, and he asked, he said, how much is a while? <laughs> I said, that's a really good question. After you've suffered a while, see, see, there's a lot of suffering in this process of sanctification, of progressive sanctification. There's a lot of suffering in this process, but God, what's he doing? He's going to make us perfect, established, strengthened, and settled. He wants us to become mature, strong trees, Trees of righteousness planted by the waters of life. He wants us to be fruitful trees, perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. God's saved us so he can change us and perfect us. God will drive the giants out of your land if you'll only believe him, if you'll just put your trust in him. And then here we find, uh, after they're ready to go back to Egypt, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were among those who had spied out the land. They, they rent their clothes, tore their clothes, and they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread." And their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So when you face to face with a giant in your life, don't fear that thing. You may feel like a grasshopper, and it's a big giant. But flip that around. From the Lord's perspective, that thing's the little grasshopper, and he's the giant. You remember David fought the giant. David didn't have any fear of that giant. He knew exactly that the Lord was going to deliver him into the hand of David. David just took a slingshot and a rock and killed the mighty Goliath. 
And this is the way we're to face the giants in our life. You say, well, I don't have any giants in my life. You're, you're just not aware, that's all. Ask God to show you. I was witnessing to someone one time. He said, well, I don't have any sin left in my life. He said, I, don't, I hadn't sinned since the day I got saved. And before the conversation was over, he just got all angry at something I said. And I flipped. I said, what about that anger you got going on right there? You know, he didn't, he didn't see it. He was blind to it. He couldn't see it. So a lot of people really can't see their self at all. But, but God saves our spirit. When you get born again, man, you are saved in a right standing with God in your spirit. Your spirit is perfected. But your soul is a piece of work. And it's a, it's a long, progressive, lifetime work getting your soul sanctified and conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's a process we've got to go through. And what Joshua and Caleb, these were the two great men of faith, they were saying, we're, we're not afraid of the land, we're not afraid of the people in the land. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And, you know, sadly, Israel could have gone into Canaan's land that day, but instead they had to wander into all the carcasses of the whole tribe except for Joshua and Caleb had fallen in the wilderness. Don't fear the giants in the land. Most Christians, in a summary, don't want to change. They just want to go to heaven when they die. But God's ultimate intention is to conform us and change us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. To inherit the promised land, the giants must be driven out. What lives within our soul that is not like Jesus? That's the question. You know, the Bible talks about like looking into the words, like looking into a mirror. And uh, when you open your Bible every day, ask the Lord to speak to you like that. Like, show me, Lord, anything in my life that's unlike you. Show me anything in my soul, in my habits, even deep down in my personality. Some things have become a habit so bad that it's just part of your personality. Some people are so obnoxious and they don't even know they're obnoxious. It's just their personality. It's just who they are. Well, God wants to work on that. He wants to work on everything in us that's unlike his son, Jesus. Closing here, he's, next point, most believers get discouraged when they see the sin in their soul. But don't run back to Egypt. Face up to it. Deal with it. Trust God to win your victories for you. And this will rid yourself of fear, depression, pride, self-pity, hate, anger, selfishness, etc. We need a faith like Abraham simply to believe the Lord and to trust Him. And in closing, the last slide, the gospel. Remember, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus has already done. You can't add to it one bit. You can't improve on it any at all. It's, the, it's news. Religion is advice. The gospel's news. It's the greatest news in the history of the world. You ought to want to share it with everyone. If you've got neighbors, if you've got family members, people you work around, you, you ought to find some way to share the gospel. It might just start with, hey, I've got a great church I'm going to. Why don't you come to church with me? You know, that, that, let, let Brother Chad you know, pour it on them when they come. Amen. <laughs> Share the gospel, or just you can learn how to tell people God loves them, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you. There's lots of ways you can get, start exposing people to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of it. Remember the first verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to all who believe. 
He came to redeem us, to save us, to fix what's wrong with us. How do I know? Abraham said, how do I know? How do I know that, that you're going to keep this, you're going to, your promise, you're going to give me this land? And then how did God show it to Abraham? He, he passed between the pieces. He gave him that experience. God passed between the pieces of flesh. He took the oath for us. He never even asked Abraham to take an oath. He said, has he ever asked you to take an oath? Have you ever had to raise your right hand, place your hand on the Bible and make an oath to God and swear to live a perfect life in order to go to heaven? Huh? No, God didn't ask you to take an oath. He has already done that for you. He's, he, he took care of that for you. God passed between the pieces. He took the oath. Jesus died in our place. He took our punishment and judgment. The new covenant is in the blood of Jesus Christ. He'll not only save you, but he'll change you. And we need to walk by faith and possess the land, trust God to drive the giants out of the land. The gospel not only saves us from hell, but it'll save you from yourself. The gospel is such great news. It's the greatest news I can give you of what Jesus has already done. He's already put in place where his blood washes away our sins. All who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you got a sin problem, just ask Jesus to forgive you. He'll wash all your sins away. Not only did he forgive me my sins, but my old man, my old nature, my old identity is crucified with him. I was buried with him in the baptismal pool, and when I came out of the waters, I was raised with him. So I've been raised from the dead. That's part of the gospel. So now I'm born again. I got a brand new identity, but I got a brand new man. That part of me that cannot sin. That's the Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's part of the gospel. But he wants to grow in our lives. And in order for us to grow, he tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. So as we walk, we're to possess the land. We're to possess Canaan's land. 1 Corinthians 10th chapter says that whole journey from Egypt to Canaan's land is for our example. It's a type and a shadow for our example. He saved us out of the world when he put the blood over the door of our house in Egypt. And he brought us out of Egypt by the cloud and fire. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit leading you into all truth. He went through the Red Seas, a picture of water baptism in Jesus' name. Then we would go through the wilderness of God's will because we're maybe out of Egypt, but Egypt's not out of us. And then he leads you to the promised land itself, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that God had promised to Abraham's descendants. And he says, I want you to possess that land, but it's full of giants. And you can be like Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb said, give me this mountain. I'm ready to possess this land. These people are nothing to be feared at all. And we, you can take the land and allow God to change your life and be a difference. You know, I don't really care anymore about being successful or, or trying to be somebody or trying to accomplish something because I realize those are such small matters compared to the big picture of what's really going on in my life, and that's the Lord conforming me into the image of Christ. That's his ultimate intention for my life, for me to be more like Jesus. So when pain comes my way, I can see, hey, that's God working on me. Pleasure comes my way. Hey, that's God working on me. He's, he's shaping you and forming you in pain and in pleasure and day seasons and night seasons and mountains and in valleys and summer seasons and winter seasons. Beloved, all things work together for the good to those that love God and to the called according to his purpose. The gospel, 
Are you kidding me? It's the greatest news in the history of the world. It's exciting. You need to get excited about the gospel. Amen. Amen. Be excited. Shout. Amen. Bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for washing my sins away. Thank you for justifying my soul. Amen, amen, amen. Glory. Beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you'd just bow your heads just for a moment, close your eyes. If there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you just lift your hand, wave your hand at me so I can pray for you. If you want me to pray for you, you would like to know Jesus, just lift your hand. We don't want you to miss an opportunity. It's the greatest day in the history of your life, the day you accept Christ as your Savior and your Lord and you give your heart and life to Him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. Uh, Brother Steve Manick, would you run up here and dismiss us real quick? Are you in the house? Steve in the house? I'll dismiss. There's an offering box in the back by the door. Please be faithful to pay your tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us all understand the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the gospel that we might, it might cause us to love you more, it might cause us to serve you in a greater way, it might cause us to face reality in our life. Lord, all these giants in our life, we just trust you to drive them out. Lord, we'll walk by faith and claim the land that you ask us and commanded us and mandated to us to take, Lord God. It's the promised land that you've, you died to give us. So Lord, help us learn how to possess the land, drive out these unchristlike attitudes and dispositions and habits out of each of our hearts and our lives. We want to be your disciples. We want to be just like you, Jesus. So we just pray for your grace and your mercy in that area of our life. Bless all your people for coming to the house of God today. Encourage every heart here. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You are